It's the Beer Vana Show, broadcast almost live in Portland on X-Ray FM and in Vancouver at KXRW or any, available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. I'm Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University, and with me, live, is Jeff Walworth, author of several books, including The Beer Bible. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. Uh, we are here in beautiful, sunny, southeast Portland. Yeah. All, what counts as sunny to, on a... On for this year, so oh, I'll take this. My thermometer when I left was 67 degrees. There's sunshine, a little bit of cloud, but this for me is—it's uh, the—it's really the like the first we've had maybe three sunny days in 2023, and this is the third one. It's been uh, record-breaking cold and wet. Yeah, it's been spring. Rough. It's terrible for for people not familiar intimately with the Portland weather, despite our constant shenanigans. Oh, uh, that, yeah. Uh, long-time listeners are very intimate. Familiar, but <laughs> uh, we, I, don't, I don't know that we've ever mentioned that in mid-April, it's supposed to be about 63 degrees. Yeah. And it's been it's been staying in the high 40s. Occasional shower here and there, but plenty of sun usually. Yeah. High 40s. Yeah. High 40s. I know. It's been cold, 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 cold. Not cool. Yeah. I was, um, I was uh, teaching my intermediate microeconomics class on Wednesday, and I was lamenting to the student there there are a couple of Arizona stu- students from Arizona a couple of students from California I'm like are you regretting your choice now because they're all like first year second year students <laughs> like, you're wondering whether you made a good choice I don't know yeah so but anyway we're here at Living House Brewery yeah with that umlaut yeah that's H-A-U-S with the umlaut house 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 which was formerly modern times Formerly the Commons. Right. Started as the Commons. Brewery 3, in not a super long period of time, like less than a decade, I yeah. think the Commons probably opened. So. Yeah, but it's a beautiful location. That's it, it is. That's 7th and whatever this is. Belmont. Belmont, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm having a lovely Hellas, by the way. This is uh, really nice. So, the for, I don't know that we've mentioned this brewery before. Maybe we have, I don't know. Uh, I mentioned it on the blog. It's founded by uh, two alums of Modern Times. Conrad Andrus and Matt Sandoval, and uh, they're joined by Gavin Lord, who was the head brewer at uh, Freen for a lot of years. So they opened this, and it's going to be relevant what we're going to talk about. So this is actually kind of a cool place for us to be. Gavin Lord runs a contract brewing. I'm pointing. To, I'm sure that the the listeners are happy to see me pointing uh, at the brewery where Gavin runs uh, some contract brewing stuff. So they have this other component because they knew that they had more capacity than they would need yeah. when they started up this little brewery. Yeah, it's a beautiful space. It's a beautiful building. It's a beautiful brewery. And uh, it's open. So when you come here, you can do as we do. Sit right next to it. Yep. And by the way, next to two nice turntables with some vinyl underneath. That's, yeah. <laughs> things, things get rocking here apparently at some point. Indeed. I kind of wish we could hop on there and throw, throw some better... Some yeah, we're, we're, yeah you can you can hear the soft pop or whatever you want to call it, soft R&B, something like that, yeah. that's happening that we have no control over. So hopefully you can hear us pretty well. It's been a minute since our last show, onto the intro, as you can tell. In the weeks since we last spoke, various events have transpired. As we mentioned, I've been to London and back. Jeff has been to Tillamook, yep. as he mentioned. The King of England was feted by Brewdog and then unfeted. Okay, more about that later. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Belgians expressed displeasure with a champagne of beers. Yep. Which, as a Wisconsinian, I'm offended by the Belgians now. Yeah, we'll ask the question whether that was just a stunt or not, because uh, 
I'm, I question. I yeah. question what's going on. There. Random timing. All of yes. a sudden, they discovered after decades. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Portland lost an icon. Lots of stuff to talk about. So for this show, we thought we'd head to a pub and do a proper catch-up over beers, which is another way of saying don't we say didn't it. have. Don't say it. <laughs> Don't we didn't it. have anything high concept to give you this week. We could, we could have, but there is actually a fair amount that's happened. Yeah, actually, there were we were just uh, chatting about lots of different things, so we figured it would be a good time to sort of do a omnibus pod, indeed, so that you get caught up yourselves. Okay, so all that soon, but first, let's start with the news. Back on March 23rd, Bud Light's Vice President of Marketing, Alyssa Heinerscheid, but how good, go yes, that? Yeah. exactly, that's right, <laughs> appeared on a podcast and told the host, quote, if we do not attract young drinkers to come and drink this brand, there will be no future for Bud Light. <laughs> a beer, she added, that has, quote, been in decline for a really long time. Wow. Bud Light followed up by making a personalized can for TikTok star and trans woman Dylan Mulvaney, to promote an event. And then, uh, half of America seemed to lose its mind, and the blowback was so fierce that AB uh, InBev announced uh, Heinerscheid was, quote, taking a leave of absence. Uh, the company had long promoted LGBTQ rights, but never experienced an explosion like this before. And it has really been a massive national, it's way, it's way out of the beer space. Like, this is actually national. Yeah, I mean, it's become a real meme. Do you think it's gonna, does it have legs? Like, in two weeks, are they going to see any difference? I don't think it'll hurt Bud uh, right. in the long run. Uh, it's, it, though, you know what? It's very hard for me to... Culture is a weird and witchy thing, so it's a little bit hard to know. But um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I think it's just one of these... Another one of these uh, uh, sort of faux outrage. Let's find something to be outraged about. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty silly. Um, one reason why I think that it uh, uh, won't last long is because a uh, friend of all things like counterculture or something, well, not counterculture, I don't know what the right way to, uh, Joe Rogan thought it was ridiculous, I saw on his pod, so since he's kind of a bellwether for a lot of crazies, I think uh, <laughs> they, might, they might follow their bell cow down the rational path, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a little bit disappointed in with the way he handled it, I think. Uh, they should have stood behind Melissa. I think she was right. I think you do need to attract young drinkers, and you, you know, need to. Uh, I mean, I just think that being being good about embracing all potential customers is just good business. And so the yeah. fact that they backed off was a little disappointing. Yeah, uh, it's kind of uh, buried buried the lead a little bit, which is uh, how bad is the decline for Bud Light and similar? Yeah, I mean it's lifestyle beers I'll call them yeah it's it's declining they're all declining um, I think Michelob Extra Beer in general. is their only thing that's really kind of a rock star AB and then uh, it's it's all uh, it's all imports mostly Mexican beers that are doing well yeah. so if you have a dom domestic lager if you have a domestic anything including craft beer which we'll talk about in a minute um, it's not really good times right now yeah. so um, so you need to think about, I mean, I think that argues even more that you need to think about the long term and look down the road, like how, you know, 
How do you stop the crash from coming? Well, yeah, you get you get new drinkers. Grow your market as much as possible. Exactly. Yeah. Not uh, not rocket science. All right, uh, in the next bit of news, we missed a few rounds of awards, but one in particular deserves highlighting. The Brewers Association started giving out the Russell Shearer Award in 1997, and while a few outside the the industry take note of it, it's a big deal among brewers. The winners is a who's who of brewing talent, and although it's ostensibly awarded for innovation in brewing, it actually functions as a de facto Hall of Fame award. To date, most of the winners have been from larger, older breweries. Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, Firestone Walker. This year, our own, Portland's own Ben Edmonds of Breakside Brewery won the award, making him one of the youngest brewers from one of the smallest breweries awarded the sharer to date. It's kind of amazing. Kudos, job, Ben. Man. Cheers. That's but amazing. It is amazing. And by the way, i got to say, the music has just taken a positive turn. Well, before that, it was Jamiroquai, so I was like, okay, that's good. But yeah, you can't get a little Barry White. You can't going. be Barry White. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. This 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 uh, podcast has stepped up in class. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Ben's great. Ben's yeah. a fantastic brewer, and Breakside is a fantastic brewery. Uh, and an award like this is certainly appropriate. And it is. I mean, to run through things that people may not know about Ben. Um, he, he's done great work at, at Breakside, but beyond that, he has really reached out and collaborated with a lot of uh, different folks in the industry. Uh, he's been a big promoter of young brewers, and of course, he's been behind the Oregon Beer Awards competition, uh, which has been really good for the Oregon beer industry. So he's he's doing a lot of cool stuff, and I think that's partly what they awarded for is you got to do more than make good beer. You have to be involved in other things. So he's yeah. done that. Yeah, and uh, I think that the, the the challenge, I don't know, the, the skill of being a good brewer is not just in recipes and making tasty beers, but it's also being able to maintain consistency and quality, being able to put in place systems, being able to train people pro- appropriately. and So to be a brewery like Breakside, which is just startlingly consistent and puts out great beer after great beer after great beer and maintains consistency and quality is... Uh, it's also a tremendous achievement. So, totally. fantastic. Way to go, Ben. Way to go, Ben. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we don't really have a main, main topic, but we have lots of little topics. That's right. So, uh, how would you like to start? I don't know. I have it two bullets down, but I'd, I'd like to hear about England. What, what happened in London? <laughs> Let's talk about London. Yeah, so the, the fun thing about traveling to London from Oregon, uh, or to England from Oregon in April, is that you get on the plane, and then you get off the plane in precisely the same weather. Totally. <laughs> Just 100%. The same temperature, the same rain, everything. So that was nice, you know? There's no jarring, like, sunshine and warmth that, <laughs> that you might think would ruin a vacation. But no, I didn't have that. My vacation was not ruined. It was fine. Excellent. Uh, London was great. My mother lives in West London, uh, Southwest London. In fact, she lives in the... Um, uh, Richmond area, which is where the Ted Lasso show. So, if listeners to the pod know the Ted Lasso show and know where the outdoor scenes are filmed, the little the pub and the the, the uh, common. Uh, she's right near there. In fact, we walked over there and um, uh, did the typical tourist. My 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 son is a huge fan of this show, so we had to go and, and see the sights. That's cool. I did not know that that was a tie-in. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, it's right there. And the funny thing was, the moment we turned the corner onto the onto the common, uh, one of the stars of the show was standing right in front of us. Holy crap! And we did a little, yeah, we did a little, <laughs> we did a little double take because the last thing you'd ever expect when you're going to see where they film the show is some random encounter with the star. Uh, but it looked like he was doing some kind of social media thing. He had one guy with him that was like filming him with a handheld camera. Uh, and uh, we were too uh, too cool to like fan out, geek out on him. But, but uh, he saw us like gawking because we couldn't sell ourselves. <laughs> Any, anyway, it, uh, for those of you who know the show, it's the guy who plays Jamie Tart, the little the soccer star from Magister. He's uh, played by a guy named Phil Dunster, it turns out. I had to look him up afterward. <laughs> But anyway, he was there. So that was fun. Uh, uh, my mother lives in a nice little area where you can walk to a number of nice pubs. So I did that because I know that's what you're interested in. Including a really, a really nice Fuller's pub on the bank of the Thames. Uh, and I love Fuller's. Totally. We've visited Fuller's. We're big. We're in the pocket of Fuller's. We are. Uh, so had had plenty of pints of London Pride. We're, we're in the pocket of Fuller's, but somehow don't make any money off that. Yeah, come on. Uh, especially now they have Asahi money. Exactly. Come on. Where's our first? Yeah. Why are we constantly giving? I had you? a lot of glam shots in the. Yeah. Go see the Instagram account because I have shots of beer in different parts of London. Uh, it's interesting how there are fewer and fewer independent pubs and more and more, like Green King pubs are everywhere. Oh, interesting. Uh, which I was surprised. I didn't realize I how much Green King had penetrated London. Yeah. But yeah, like every other pub it seemed was a Green King pub. Huh. Which is fine. Yeah. I went to, by the way, went to visit uh, my Brazilian buddy who's on sabbatical and, and uh, at Cambridge. Yes, uh, I wanted to talk to you about the pub you went to at Cambridge. Yes, and so we went to the pub. I think it's called the Eagle. Someone will have to correct me if it's not. It's in the Instagram, but it is also a Green King pub. But, oh, really? Yes, but it's right. It's one of the sort of old pubs in in the center of Cambridge, and apparently it's where Crick and Watson announced their discovery of DNA. I looked it up after you uh, after you did that because I, I thought this is a pretty cool story I want to see pretty darn cool and apparently it's not the only claim to fame like to get there we walked by the little tree Newton's tree and and the room where Newton used to his little his little chambers in King's College Uh, apparently the tree is debatable whether that's really Newton's tree but they call it Newton's tree so and so Newton was a, a frequenter of the pub so they say so when I read about it uh the story and I think it's totally seems legit. That's, I, I, would, I, I see no reason to debate it. Uh, it. It's a pub that a lot of uh, people who work at their college go to. So yes. um, it was just a regular haunt for, for Crick and Watson. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so after they had published, or I don't know, there was some watershed moment, because obviously... The discovery took a long, like there's a lot, a lot of water, uh, watermark, well, not watermarks, a lot of uh, benchmarks right. in that discovery. But at some, at one of these, they walked over and made the announcement. It's probably got published or something. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's probably totally legit. It's a, it's a cool bar. It goes back even longer than that. It's got its own history. Like old pubs, man. It's, cla- it's a classic. Yeah, it's a classic English pub. It's beautifully preserved. Uh, you know, complain if you want, but this is what I appreciate about places like Fuller's and Green King is they have money to put into pubs and keep them in really nice shape and right. a really nice Green King IPA. Yep. Uh, and uh, 3.5%. A nice, a nice food. <laughs> and yeah, it was uh, it, uh, it was great. 
And then the the highlight of the trip, of course, was the the uh, pilgrimage, I would call it, to the Emirates Stadium to see Arsenal play. Yes. yes. Play uh, in our case Leeds and win four to one. Is Leeds good? Is Arsenal good? Uh, Leeds isn't very good. Arsenal's very good. They lead the league this at this moment as we record, but it probably won't. They probably won't quite keep that lead till the end. Okay. Um, they're stumbling. They're kind of stumbling right now, but. They're, they're exceeding expectations anyway. So It's just like a Red Sox thing where they look good up until the point, or, or Trailblazers, uh, that they break your heart. It's, in, in, inevitably. Uh, they've had a rough, yeah, they've had a rough time recently. I, what I would say is it's sort of Red Soxy in the sense that there's one super club that, that spends ridiculous amounts of money that's like always winning now, the Mesha City. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have um, a sovereign wealth fund, a Qatari sovereign wealth fund behind them. And, um, that's hard to that's hard to compete with. They're, they're the Yankees in this analogy. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't make that clear. They're the Yankees <laughs> in this analogy, and they're just right there, right behind us, winning, never not winning. Uh, and we have the youngest, one of the youngest, the youngest, or maybe the second youngest squad in the Premier League. Uh, so we've done really well, but uh, are stum- are kind of stumbling our way home, which you kind of expect with young young players. Uh, but it was uh, an amazing time. Um, they, by the way, uh, oh, I'm going to forget the name of the brewery, but the whole stadium is um, what seemed like a craft brewery. Is, is is fueled by the beer from? Oh man, I don't know why I'm blanking. But uh, it turns out I looked them up, and, and they were either once a craft brewery and now owned by AB InBev, or they're entirely a creation of AB InBev. Um, Beaver Town? No, not Beaver Town. Aren't they one of them? Now I'm trying to. I'm, I'm just going to break my poor memory and, and launch guesses, and that won't be any good. Uh, I'm going to come up with it in a second here. But you were able to drink beer in the. Here it is. I wondered about that. If you could drink in the. If they allow you to drink. Camden. The Camden Brew. The Camden Brew, yeah. You know about Camden? I do. Okay. Yeah. So now apparently the AB and Bev. But it's. It's good beer. Yeah, it's good beer. They had a nice. Uh, they had a, a Hellas, and um, huh, that's so weird that they, you get Hellases in. They had three. They had, yeah, they had three choices. They had like a bitter, a Hellas, and a and an IPA. Wow. Yeah, things change. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that was that was uh, a wonderful day. Me and my son. That was a bucket list. Well, bucket list for me. He's yeah. pretty young to have a bucket list. But anyway, right, that was, right, right. That was a highlight of the trip. Um, so yeah, so England was great. Cool. And then uh, my mom's local is actually an independent pub. Oh nice. Uh, which is really nice to see because there's so few left. Yeah. And just super classic. I went and had a shepherd's pie there. We went and ate dinner once, and it was just a neighborhood thing. We opened the neighborhood around. I had a shepherd's pie. I had a. Um, I had an Adnum sum. Oh. Uh, like some bitter, wasn't it? Yeah, whatever they call it, like blue ship, blue ship or something. Ghost ship. Ghost ship. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Look at you, old man. <laughs> synapses. Had an Adams ghost ship there. They're an independent, so they just had a few different uh, beer engines. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. I so, envy that. So England was good. By the way, on my way, we flew um, British. We flew British because they normally have a non-stop Portland to, to Heathrow, uh, which we flew on the way back, but on the way there, they canceled the non-stops that weekend, so I had to fly through Dallas, 
is annoying because you go the wrong direction. <laughs> but anyway, what British has is a contract because we're going to be talking about uh, BrewDog. Is they have a contract with BrewDog, and All so right. they serve a special, a bespoke British Airways BrewDog beer, which name escapes me, but it's in the Instagram. High flying, something like, something like that. <laughs> Jetstream, Jetstream, it might be. That might be right, actually. Oh, Never know. <laughs> My synapses might be. Uh, which is, which is fine. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a slightly hoppier, uh, pale, basically, uh, than you would normally get on the, on the international flight. So. Uh, the alternative was Heineken, so there you go. Definitely an improvement there. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, Heineken. <laughs> you can go ahead and not mail us the check. I'm not sorry. <laughs> uh, well, while you're looking that up, I'll say that I went to I went I recently went to Tillamook, where I toured the Degard Brewery, uh, which is celebrating its 10th anniversary in I think two weeks. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Guard, they are, I believe, probably the only brewery outside of the Peyotenland in uh, Belgium that does all spontaneous brewed beer. So every beer that they make goes into the cool ship. They're, it's the only yeast in the entire brewery. Wow. It's the stuff that's floating around in the air. Uh, so 100% of their beer is, is spontaneous beer, just like the Lambic Brewery. And um, they have managed to make it for 10 years. And uh, Trevor Rogers, the brewer there, and, and one of the co-founders of Life Lindsay are is just he's gotten really good. His beer is really yeah. Really I was good. gonna say, how many years does it really take to to figure out the ambient yeast? I mean, I think it's probably gonna continue to improve too. And you find this in all styles of beer. It's not just wild beer. Uh, Jetstream, there Jet, it is. Jetstream. I don't right. know what I said now, but yeah, I think you said. Jet I think Stream. I might have said Jetstream. Good man. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's making very very balanced palatable beers. Uh, he's found that you have to age them longer to get really sensual, uh, elegant beers. So that's what he does. Costs more money, but um, he's doing it, and uh, his beers are great. So that was fun. That was my exotic trip. Yeah. Read about that on the blog. That's coming up. Yeah, I would. Um, that's impressive that they only use wild fermentation, but I can imagine that's a constant challenge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing is they are in Tillamook, and they chose that location because it's very gentle weather. And I, yeah. I suspect that having the uh, fresh ocean air and the kind of fresh Oregon air uh, really helps. They have, he told me they have three different strains of retinomyces. Huh? Um, and with your wild yeast, when you're doing wild yeast, it sort of depends on what you got floating around. And he, right. has, he has three, three nice strains. One's a little bit. Um, Aggressive, and the other two are more gentle. And uh, so he, he has good strains and produces really nice beer. Excellent. So you get lucky. Yeah, that's fantastic. Totally. <laughs> so the the news is that the customs, Belgian customs, destroyed, and this is what's interesting to me: only two thousand three hundred and fifty-two cans of High Life. Just not a lot of beer. Very yeah, very um, dramatically. They yeah. put it in a big industrial press. And they smashed them. Did you see that part? I, I, I heard about it. I didn't actually see the video. Was there a video going around? Uh, there's a video you can find, yeah, yeah, of them like throwing all these cans in a big press and the big metal thing going smashing it, yeah. Yeah, so apparently the, uh, the champagne industry uh, was... But that's squalling, so I wonder, was this just a big stunt for the champagne French. industry? I know! Like, I mean, I know they're in the EU, so they're supposed to uphold standards and stuff, but... 
But champagne is French, and the Belgians, Belgians can't French. call their stuff French champagne. So, yeah. and the Belgians, the French don't have the most greatest troubled yeah. relationship. <laughs> so why are they doing the French a favor? No, I was curious about the whole thing. Yeah, I was curious. Uh, and of course, why uh, why would any of anyone object to Miller High Life being called the Champagne of Beers? Everyone knows it is the Champagne it's of the Beers. Champagne of Beers. Also, it almost goes without saying. Cool. Who exactly in Belgium is buying Miller High Life? That's <laughs> yeah. what I want to know. <laughs> How did Miller High Life get to Belgium in the first place? Yeah. yeah some, some stray case in there like, oh no, we're going to crush it. <laughs> <laughs> was, that, was the, that was the thing that really surprised me. I, I was really shocked. What? They're, they're getting Miller High Life in Belgium? Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I suspect you are correct that it's some way to try to help sort of uh, promote Belgian beer. I guess. Yeah. And the whole champagne thing is a slight one-off, but it allows everybody to talk about Belgian beer. And I mean, Belgium has two famous mass-market lagers. Uh, Stella, which the locals don't drink all that much of. Yeah. Uh, and Jupiler, which they drink a lot of, yeah. which is their really big one. So Miller High Life is, like, not going to puncture that yeah. at all. Maybe this is all a Stella-funded stunt. Could be. Yeah. It'd be interesting to know if in Belgium now Stella is, like, saying, No! Look, drink Stella. None of this high life stuff. Uh, by the way, I want to know what's going on with this whole brew dog thing. Uh, the king brew dog, the coronation. Yeah. Yes. So this is a little bit of a amusing drama to me, but uh, I don't know if it's been amusing to anyone else. Like two months ago, <laughs> we'll find out. So an important thing to know is we haven't had the coronation of a king in. I don't know, since 1935. What is that, 85 years? Because I don't know... I can't... The story with Elizabeth, I don't know what the deal was with that. There Was was there a coronation? Uh, yeah, I think so. Was there? All right, I don't know. So it's been... Anyway, 85 years ago, before Elizabeth uh, abdicated... Before Elizabeth, uh, the king, king... One of the Georges, a King George, abdicated the throne uh, when he married... Uh, an American actress, Wallace, Wallace Simpson. Simpson. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we uh, we kind of all learned about this because there was. It, I think normally it just sort of goes without saying. Everybody makes commemorative stuff and you cash in. But then when you abdicated, everybody had all this beer laying around, and that's going to come up later. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so we, we we learned that there's these coronation beers that people do. Well, a couple of months ago, James Watt, sort of the head of the, the one of two, but the, the visible frontman for uh, BrewDog announced in a tweet that they were going to do this, and they had four cans with different names, and he asked which ones people liked the most, uh-huh. and everybody hated all of them and said, this is not very punk. <laughs> like, and there was a lot of talk of the Sex Pistols, and uh, he responded... Because that's part of BrewDog's marketing. Exactly. Punk. They're punk. Punk. And he, so then he, he battled them for a while, and then all of a sudden, all tweets disappeared. <laughs> that was in January. <laughs> and I was, I was aware of all this, so before this podcast, I booted up BrewDog, and boom, Coronation Beer is getting made. And it seems to be, be it's very quiet. Ah. It's like ale, or ale to the chief, ale to the chief, or something like this. I don't know. It's, it's a bad pun. It's, uh, it's not ale to the chief. That's an American yeah. I don't know. It's... It's some dumb pun, which they all are, and this, um, it's a 4.5% beer, which, if I were doing a coronation, I would do like a, 
like a big impressive here. It seems like a real, I don't know. The whole thing is weird, but it's interesting how BrewDog is to trying me. to like play it, play it both ways. But this has always been BrewDog, right? Like BrewDog is a business, they are shrewd business people. They are business people first. Uh, and they'll be punk as long as punk sells. And they'll be uh, royalists as long as royalists itself. They're Scottish, however, so that doesn't make any sense I at know. all. I know. That complicates the thing so, a lot. And so that gets really complicated already. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're the, one of the most unlikely uh, brewers to cash in. They're also one of the most unlikely beers to do a little in-house brew with British Airways, too. Uh, except for the fact that you know that they're shrewd business people and they want to make money good money-making opportunity let's do it totally uh yeah i imagine what they really want is just to try to sell a whole bunch of beer around the coronation and let's just you know yeah it's interesting i i can't you make a commemorative can and people and the brits love commemorative things right i mean everybody does right in america we would too we we should probably do like an inauguration beer for 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 presidents too but it might it might not be it might be much more controversial. So that's the thing that I don't get as an American is the British love of monarchs. Um, I, yeah, I am naturally disgusted by the whole affair as a good American. Uh, but my sense is in Britain, it's fairly non-political. Like it's mo- most people are generally behind the royals. It seems like based on everything I've seen. Well, it gets a little political, but. I, I w- the one thing I'll say about the Brits is they love tr- they love their tradition. They're very proud of their tradition and heritage and culture, and uh, it's amazing. Go to London; it's an amazing place to visit because you know you just you're constantly surrounded by things that are hundreds and hundreds of years old and well preserved. So I think that that's that's the uh, the monarchy represents Britishness. Exactly. Right, and so that's what people hold hold dear. Yeah. But it's pretty controversial. There's lots of people who uh, who would like to see the whole royal family gone. Friend of the pod, John Urch, uh, British citizen living in Bend, Oregon, who we interviewed uh, sometime back, uh, has talked about how he, you know, as an American, now he's an American citizen. He has observed that Americans don't have a symbol that unites them the way the Brits do. He, he's sort of in favor of the monarchy because it gives that kind of, you know, a rally around the president effect, but it's a but it's the monarch and um, uh, we don't have that. And he first pitched that to me before Brexit and time of troubles in the UK. And I don't know if he still believes that, but it was actually fairly convincing to me. We, you know, countries are different and the monarchy is yeah. different. And I can, see how a, I can see how a brewery would be wanting to celebrate Britishness this way it, it tracks it, it tracks very differently in the United States uh, yes. but yeah. yeah I get it I think that in the US the closest thing we have is an inanimate object that is the Constitution right sort of what we think is probably the center of the of the Republic and so we'll we hold that fairly near and dear for better or for worse right uh, yeah it's interesting my mother still has her little uh, silver jubilee I was uh, I went over to England one of my visits to my family uh, during the Queen Elizabeth Silver Jubilee, which I think it was 77, maybe something around there. Uh, she still has like little commemorative teacup and stuff. Silver Jubilee uh, is what now? They, the Brits have all this uh, 25 years since she became queen. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, and then she went through her golden and then made it to her, what did they call it, the 60th uh, platinum? The 60th or 75th she made it to. She made it, like, really far. Diamond Jubilee, something. I think that was the last one. Yeah, she made it really far. <laughs> In fact, I didn't think I didn't think Charles was going to make it. Yeah, I know, I know. By the way, if you want to find something uh, hilariously British, you look at the Charles's investiture ceremony in, uh, in Wales, at the castle in Wales. It's very... Uh, uh, it's a preview of what you're going to find uh, find what happens when he becomes king. But, uh, but he gives a little address in Welsh, which is pretty funny, too. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, good for him. Yeah. Uh, so, to switch to a little beeronomics, I'm going to throw something at you. Since we're talking about BrewDog, BrewDog uh, closed their Pits- Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania location uh, very recently, which was the second one they've closed in... in less than a year. Yeah. And McKellar closed their last U.S. pub in San Diego. So my question to you is, are these foreign uh, pub locations no longer... Like, what does this tell us about tap rooms? And is it just a foreign thing, or is the tap room thing changing? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I wonder. I, I, I'm not sure you can make a big... Um, big generalization well, about it. Well, you've got to. That's what the po- that's good, good podcasting is, man. <laughs> well, I'll say two things. One, of course, since it's been a difficult time for anybody, there's been lots of domestic tap rooms closed as well. But I do think that the... Um, uh, I'm never sure... I'm not sure how much these foreign brands resonate much with local drinkers. Yeah. I think a lot of what craft beer represents is, you know, you're proud as a Pittsburgher. Pittsburghian. Pittsburgher. Pittsburgh. Ganner to uh, <laughs> Pittsburgher. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Well, listener can, listeners can tell us, but I'm pretty sure it's Pittsburgher. Yeah, you're proud to drink local beer, right? Yeah. Beer made by people around you and nearby, and and I think that's a big part of it. And I don't know how much like Brewdog really resonates uh, uh, outside the UK. Um, yeah, as an, as an interesting twist, uh, Guinness. Um, has a very successful pub in Maryland, and they're opening one in Chicago, so it'll be interesting to see how that works, because, uh, I mean, one difference is Guinness is a far bigger and more venerable name. Than but the didn't I read that they're Maryland. shutting down their brewery? Yeah, they are. Yeah. The, uh, so the, the production brewery in Maryland right. um, did not pan out, and that was, we, that's actually not on the list, we should talk about that. That that was interesting because that's, that's like a 100-barrel brewery or a 60-barrel brewery. So it's a big brewery. Big one, yeah. And the idea was that they would uh, release a bunch of sort of American craft beer in the American market. Right. Uh, so they were, their first thing was a, a, a Guinness Blonde. And I think they had a Whitbeer. And I know they had a, 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 some kind of like a, an open stout or some kind of stout that was not made in, in, Guinness, in uh, St. James. Same James Gate. And they were trying these and they thought, I think, that they would create like a, a new line of Guinness in America. Uh, but interestingly, and that did not pan out. And interestingly, though, while that was not panning out, Guinness is quietly doing really well in America. Like, Guinness's core products are really doing well. So I think probably Diageo looked at this and said, what are we screwing around with this yeah, when, just... when we can sell Guinness instead? Right. And, uh, and you run the brand. risk of diluting the core brand. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 So I think a lot of people, as I was watching the kind of thought leaders talk about that, I was thinking, I don't think you're getting this the same way I'm getting this. I, I'm not sure that this is a sign that Guinness is failing in America. I think maybe it's a sign that Guinness's secondary brands are failing in America, which is a really different thing. Yeah, yeah. 
which uh, allows me to pivot to one of my favorite topics, which I noticed that you put on here, which is the brand within a brand. Yeah. Which is something I pitched years and years ago yes, to shoots. <laughs> so no, they looked at me like I was an idiot. Uh, but this is a perfect example. You're Guinness, you're known for export stout. You're known for stout, right? You're known for a single product. Right. And uh, so why not create a different brand within the brand that's IPAs and pale ales and American style ales or something like that. Uh, and that was always been my question. I understand like there's economies of scale and there's uh, you know you work a long time to build up a brand and brand identity and like at shoots you're getting a lot of uh, uh, a lot of brand equity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but you mentioned a couple of recent examples of brands within a brand, right? Uh, yeah. This it's, is on your blog. I'm not sure if it's on our page. It, it, <laughs> it, it is, it is on our page, and I'm going to flip over to it. We're actually sitting in one, which I mentioned uh, earlier. That uh, Living House, uh, one of the partners is Gavin Lord, who was with Cream. Uh, and he does the contract brewing. When he started this brewery, he also wanted to have his own side project. It's called Petty Alice, which is named after his grandmother, right. uh, which he sells. And it's an interesting approach because you can't find Petty Alice in the brewery that we're sitting in. Right. Uh, I don't even think you can find cans of it here. And I know he does do cans. You can go to Belmont Station and find Petty Alice. You can go to uh, pubs and find Petty Alice on tap. But um, uh, he wanted to do a side project, I think, just as a creative outlet. Uh, but then a couple of other examples are, I think, a little bit more focused on, on the business side. One is uh, Peter Allen has Gold Dot, so that, that's a result of uh, Kevin Davey going over. We talked about this on a, on a last pod, I think, or a recent pod. Uh, Kevin Davey joining his romantic partner, Lisa Allen, uh, at her brewery, Peter Allen. Right. But he's famous for uh, cold IPA, yes. among other things. <laughs> and there's no room for cold IPAs in the Heater Allen lineup. So they needed another avenue to do that. And similarly, Occidental, which is another lager slash German brewery in Portland. The original, the OG. The OG, that's right. In Portland. In Portland. Uh, they wanted to also get beyond that identity without diluting the Occidental identity, uh, same thing, and so they started a, a brand called Further, and they're going to do... Yeah, this one's new to me. Yeah, they're going to do uh, IPAs under that, and um, I I actually think that's a great idea. I would... I've always thought this was a good idea, because you got every... If you're not supporting the core brand, if you're weakening the core brand, it's so bad. One thing we didn't talk about, we couldn't throw it in here, but now I'm throwing it in, because I, I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal, but um, <laughs> Bud Light, uh, weeks and weeks ago, there was a Bud Light, I don't know if they announced it or if it, somebody reported internal stuff or whatever, but uh, it, it emerged that Bud Light customers were really confused by Bud Light Seltzer uh, because they're two different products. Right. There's Beer and seltzer are not the same, and so customers were super confused. And the consequence of that was it was really weakening the core brand. Yeah. And so if you're not supporting the core brand, it, you know, it's bad news. So I think these are great ideas. And I think it's the kind of thing you need to do when, when uh, business is really tight. you got to be clever with your approach to how you're, how you're doing business. Yeah, I thought Bud Light Seltzer was a colossal, colossally bad idea. And I think I said it on the record in the, on this pod. I'm sure you did. I- to call it Bud Light Seltzer is just, uh, you're going to confuse everybody. Yeah. It's not Bud Light, and Bud Light's not Seltzer, and yeah. Uh, 
I understand, once again, you've got a name that you're trying to tag onto, but yeah, I thought yeah. that was a really bad idea. I think if uh, August Switch the Third still owned the company and somebody said, we're going to name a, a product Bud Light Seltzer, he would have killed them. I don't think he would even have fired them. I think he just killed them right on the spot. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's save the brand, start a side project. And it would be interesting if Guinness did that. I, I didn't even pitch this to anyone else, but no, it's a podcast. Who listens to this, right? So uh, I was thinking Guinness should start, if they wanted to do something, they should do something close to the identity, like uh, a red ale. Um, Guinness Red would make a lot more sense. Yeah. Because people would actually understand what that means. Something. I know they have Smittics, but still, it's uh, it would be a, a short step away. Lean, in, lean into the Irish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Seems to be what what is driving the resurgence of the brand. So. Uh, uh, I'm going to suggest we take a short break. Yeah. And fill up our glasses. I like it. Uh, so why don't we do that? And that also gives a chance to regroup here. All right, we will be back in what to you. Listener is no time instantaneous. All. all right, and we're back. We're back. Our glasses are full. Indeed, <laughs> I have the uh, I have I have the Bethine, which they have a cool naming system. You have the Lou. They name uh, here at Living House. They name their beer after uh, beloved relatives. So I think uh, nice. I think the Bethine is Conrad's grandmother, and I don't I I think actually. Lou may be uh, Matt's grandfather. Okay. But I, don't quote me on that. But I think anyway, it's whatever, a cool thing. You get to, it's good beer. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a great. I think it's kind of a great naming system because you uh, are really drawn into their their connection. So it's, it's personal. I like that. Uh, I want to talk about something that you recently wrote about on your blog. All right. But also it, it leads back to what we did yesterday, which was hang out with Alan Taylor from Zlogo House and have some beers. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. We were at Ruse. We were. Uh, also great beer. Yes. I got to call out Imaginary Lines, which was a, it's a hazy that's currently pouring. And man, oh man, it reminds me, when a hazy is on, it is a wonderful beer style. It is. That was a good beer. And I had the one slightly less potent. I can't remember what it was called. Ghost Pig. Ghost Pig. I should remember what it was called. <laughs> yeah, that one's a great it's name. also excellent. Yeah. Uh, and they had a really tasty cold shot, so. Yeah. And why did you bring that up? Uh, wait for it. All right. I'm waiting. <laughs> First, shout out to Alan and his kids. Hi, kids. Uh, yes. Lillian uh, Dillon. Lillian Dillon. Yes. That was going to be the, the contribution this time. Uh, Alan, I'm trying hard not to tail off on my sentences. I'm going to finish strong. So uh, that was his uh, his notes. He had, a da- he, had a, he had a great dad joke about trailing, too, didn't he? And I can't remember how that worked. But, uh, He's the worst with dad jokes. Man, can't hang out with that guy. Uh, yeah, the two of you together is like <laughs> falling into the dad zone. Anyway, somehow in our conversation we got around to... Um, the discussion about contract brewing versus rotating proprietorships. Alternating. Alternating proprietorships. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's a it's interesting. Alt props. Alt props. Yes. Yeah. So you wrote about it in your blog. I'm fascinated because I think it's uh, fascinating. It is. <laughs> fascinated because it is a fascinating subject. Yeah. So uh, why don't you describe the difference? I will. Uh, and I don't know if this is if this exists outside Oregon or anything else. I, I can tell you what's going on in Oregon. Yeah. Uh, it's a legal structure 
and it's pretty cool. So it is multiple companies using the same equipment, right? Owning the same equipment, and so you alternate uh, the use of the, the brew house. So one day, uh, so right. uh, on, a, on a Tuesday at 10 a.m., uh, brewery X mashes in, and it's their brewery. Uh, until you know Wednesday at 9 p.m. Right, and they put their beer in tanks which they own. Right, uh, and they are they are they, it's it's their brewery. And then on Thursday, uh, it's brewery wise. And Alan uh, is very familiar with it because he had an alternating proprietorship with Hono Brewing, right, which now has their own brewery uh, in the old building. It's it, we once talked about how. Uh, Brewery sites are getting recycled. Yes, They're getting reused. Recycled sounds kind of bad, but uh, the Pono site is what is in what used to be the Columbia Columbia River Brewing, Columbia something, and before, before that, that it was something else, and before that it was the original Laurel Laurelhurst, Laurelwood, Laurelwood, yes, Laurelwood, yes, Laurelwood. Laurelwood. yes exactly, that's right. Uh, and I actually went there, and by the way, they have tremendous uh, food, um, good beer, tremendous food. So, interesting. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, and, and Ruse was also started as an alternative proprietorship with uh, Culmination. So, Sean Kalis was brewing on Culmination's system and releasing his own beer until they got the money together making that product to open the beer, the brewery we were at yesterday. And the difference uh, in terms of marketing is you can say that you're brewing your own beer, you're not having it brewed by somebody else. That's right. Uh, interesting to know how much that matters. Uh, you mentioned um, Friends of the Pod, Rosenstadt, mm-hmm. who are contract brewing, essentially, but different places they have brewed the beer, and so the big challenge for them is making sure quality stays consistent across different equipment, and they do it remarkably well. <laughs> I don't know how they manage it, but they're... Um, uh, but they're very successful. They've been doing really well. But, yeah. Uh, but it does make a difference, I think, in terms of you know how you market yourself. And... It does. Uh, and I, I feel I feel a little bit for Resonance effort for one, for, as one example, because uh, there's a lot of different ways to do contract brewing. You know, on the one hand, you can be like uh, a, a Safeway or a Trader Joe's and go to a brewery and say, we need a pale ale, a dark beer, and an IPA. Uh, will you do that for us? And you know, we'll have our branding guys create a label, and you just put the beer in the label, and we'll sell it. Right. That's one way of going, and that's you know, I think everybody agrees that's a going to produce a pretty uninteresting beer, and it's not really a brewery, and like that's kind of not a hard, <laughs> hard thing to understand. Rosenstadt buys their own ingredients, they store them, they store their own ingredients, right. they create their own recipes, they oversee the brewing process. To the extent that they go into the brewery when it's getting made, uh, first time or two, make sure that uh, all the parameters are right. And and as you point out, uh, Rosenstadt, Hellas, and Kolsch, their two flagships, must continue to taste like Rosenstadt, Hellas, and Kolsch no matter what brewery they're in. So they don't get credit for having their own brewery, and yet they're not exactly what most people think of when they think of a contract brewery, uh, because they are you know, doing a lot more, act- they're a lot more actively engaged in the production of their own beer. Yeah, but it's a good point because the, the sort of standard contract brewing arrangement, uh, for those with some knowledge, speaks to just uh, hands-off. Uh, it sort of 
uh, gets rid of all the things that you might oh, love about craft beer, which is <laughs> the personality of the people involved in the process. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're at least in Oregon, that's interesting. I wonder, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens elsewhere too, but rotating proprietorship allows you know, for the brew crew to come in from Pono and get on Rosa Tass equipment, brew beer, store it uh, in the bright tank and package it and take it away. And it's all their process and their quote-unquote brewery at that time. And I think it's a great way to go because right now, especially right now, there, there are too many breweries in the country. There's too much excess capacity, and buying a new brewery for a million dollars and putting it in, you know, an expensive building that you take a 20-year lease out on is a whole lot of risk. And then, you know, you dilute the market even more, and it's even more to enter, and you're carrying a lot more debt. Uh, there's another alter- alternating proprietorship, uh, Kings and Daughters, uh, which is a brewery that you kind of see around here. And I had uh, one of their beers recently that was really awesome. A soft IPA, perhaps we can talk about that at some point. Uh, it was 5.3%. Yeah, let's circle back to that, but go ahead. Uh, we can circle back to that, it's cool. Um, and they, their idea is to take the alter- alternating proprietorship and never have a brewery, right? but have a pub. So they want to have this alternating proprietorship at this brewery in Clackamas and not worry about ever getting their own equipment, but just open their own cool pub so they have a place to serve it. Um, And uh, Kyle Larson, the the owner-brewer, got his start in Hood River, and I think they're planning... I think if they could, I think they live in Hood River now, and they would like to own the, open their pub there. Um, but he went to the UK for two or three years and brewed at a brewery called Siren, and so he really fell in love with uh, UK pubs uh, when he was in at Siren, and, and so he has a real affection for pub drinking, and he likes low alcohol beers. They make a mild uh, their beers. They do make some stronger IPAs, but mostly they make lower alcohol beers. Like the soft IPA, which is only 5.3%. Basically a hazy pale. Right. But it's really informed by his British brewing, and you can totally tell. It's totally in balance. It's a it's it's really built for two or three pints, uh-huh. and it's uh, but it's got it's, it's got an American uh, flavor profile. Yeah, yeah, an American flavor profile, which is now fairly. British too. They, yeah. You know, Brit, Brits have sort of shifted over to that too. But uh, um, yeah, it's a great it's a great idea. So that's another. I mean, I think it's really interesting to watch breweries tinker with these things, these different uh, approaches now. Because I think if you if Kings and Daughters has their own pub and they're serving their own beer, and you walk in there and it says Kings and Daughters and all the beers Kings and Daughters, is anyone going to ask where your brewery is? I don't think anyone's going to ask that. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because early on the brew pub was really a brew pub where you would try to feature the brewer, the brewing equipment like we are here in front of Bright Tanks. Or, and um, uh, and I think people don't, that's not where they're looking for anymore necessarily. Like, I think it's great if you can do it, but I don't think um, people are turned off if you're not brewing on site anymore. Yeah, it's I totally about agree. The beer now. And I think that's a shift. It is. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Rosenstadt, which has really been growing, I, I actually uh, had beers with Tobias at Rosenstadt not too long ago, and uh, he said the company's doing great, um, so they're not suffering the same kind of, uh, you know, negative downside. And in fact, Willamette Week recently released uh, their list of Portland breweries, and they 
they starred their favorites. And they I gave, saw that, yeah. They gave two stars to beers, breweries they called world class, and Rosenstadt was one of them. So, uh, you know, they're getting a lot of credit, and they, you know, they've won awards. They won their um, their Dunkel won uh, a gold at the OBA this year. So, yeah. you know, uh, it's it's really. It's a different world we're living in. Yeah, which you never would have expected. Without a physical presence in yeah. anyone, they don't have their own pub. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. never would have, in the years past, never. Like, yeah. you had to have a sort of identity that was a physical space, right? Yeah. They've managed it. It's been, um, you know, all credit to them. They've, they've, totally. hu- they've hustled, they've put a lot of sweat equity in it, but they've made it work. I would love to hear, uh, if listeners are in other parts of the country, if you're seeing anything like this, I'm curious if this is just an Oregon thing, or, or if, it's, if you're seeing unusual business structures elsewhere in the world, because um, I, I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. By the way, this is kind of a tangent, my apologies, but getting back to my trip to England, I spent a while chatting with uh, the, the bartender, Republican, I suppose, but the young, young employee at the Fuller's Pub near my mother's house. The Anglers, it's called, in Teddington. Uh, and when he found out I was from Oregon, uh, he started going on and on about IPAs and all that, that stuff. So it's still there's still this uh, aura of big hoppy beers from the Pacific Northwest that that permeates. Well, and I think it's right, you know. I mean that imaginary lines we had a ruse yesterday was just. I mean, it was it was at ten. And it wasn't at 11, which too, too many hazies are at 11. Uh, it was turned up right right to the maximum amount, and it was perfect. Um, and I think still the Brits, they have a real like cultural predisposition to keep it dialed at about 7 is the highest you go. You know? yeah. <laughs> so. I think uh, what, what struck me then is like, man, I should have just thrown a few cans of beer in my suitcase I could carry with me for moments like this totally like hey there you go try that yeah because uh, he's a super nice guy he hadn't traveled outside of England much continental Europe and stuff but because uh, I asked him it's like you gotta come to the US try the yeah. beer yeah I love doing that super it's, nice guy it's a lot of fun people always appreciate it they, if nothing else just for the gesture that you brought a can of beer across the ocean yeah but it's something to bond over which is great when you when you when you meet another sort of beer enthusiast elsewhere, it's really fun. Yeah. Especially one that's curious, you know, not just stuck. Because um, we got talking about, we started talking about London Pride and how I couldn't get this kind of beer and I was like, such a treat and all that. So, right. And then he's like, well, I can't get your kind of beer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, really true. So that was really fun. Yeah, but I think the rotating proprietorship was um, a really interesting and, and kind of cool thing. And, um, you know, economies of scale are such a big deal in brewing. Uh, it makes sense to have, you know, four people own a single, four companies own a single brewery, for example. Just whatever. A number of different breweries own a single brewery, and you get the you get the efficiencies out of it. But then you don't have to uh, uh, try and uh, you don't have to have a big enough business to justify a you know whatever fifty barrel brewery. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, I think we're getting close to running out of time, but I want to mention... Oh, we got such a long list. I know, we have a a long list. I want to mention Darcel. Oh, yes. Darcel is a drag queen in Portland who is, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the longest-serving drag queen in the world. Really? 57 years, Darcel had uh, the Darcel Review in Old Town. I don't know, actually, know if all 57 years were in Old Town, but 
for the last 37 that I've been here they were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was an old town when I came. Yeah. Uh, Darcel uh, is a- absolutely a beloved icon in Portland, one of the most iconic people. And interestingly, right before Darcel died, uh, Gigantic did a collab called Darcel Blonde IPA with Darcel's face on the label. And during the, I, I mean, she. I don't know why she. So Darcel, I can't remember Darcel's uh, given name. His her pronouns are when you're talking about non-drag. Uh, I think his name was like John Cole or yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's been like in that. the news, and I just can't. I can't. Yeah. I can't dredge it up. Use the use the masculine, and when we're talking about Darcel, use the feminine. So I'm going to use the feminine here. She did the, the publicity with, with Gigantic and was just rocking. Um, and this beer is actually uh, just, I'm glad that Gigantic didn't mail it in. It's one of the best beers I've had in a long time. And it's not a hazy, it's a kind of a, it's a juicy, so it's really saturated. Kind of low alcohol, like 6.2% like or something like that. Uh-huh. Like not a super bomber, which kind is of awesome. Alcohol. Well, for an IPA. No, I got it. Uh, which is great. Very juicy. Just really, it's got an orange marmalade thing that I super love. Um, and, you know, they did it right before Darcel died, which was super cool. And I, I, I feel like a little bit of old Portland died when Darcel died. And I, I'm glad we're mentioning it. I feel like we need to mention yes. Darcel. And I have the name. It's Walter Willard Cole. Walter Cole. Walter Cole. There you go. So, uh, rest in peace, Darcel. Totally. All right, we can probably throw something else in here if you're really dying for it, and then we should wrap it up. Uh, okay, well, the only thing I'll say, because uh, you mentioned it before, was I am actively working on my syllabus for my beer and Oh, class. yeah, 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 let's talk about that. For, uh, well, it's not, I don't have too much to report, except that I had a, Alan Taylor was great. Gave me two new ideas. Very good. One is, one of the fascinating things, and I hadn't clock, clocked this before I talked to Alan, but he was talking about, because... Uh, Zoigel House has businesses brews in New Mexico and in Oregon, maybe elsewhere too. But anyway, those two places. Yep. He was talking about the incredible difference between the regulatory environment for New Mexico and Oregon, and saying how much he appreciates the OLCC, the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. Yes. Which is not something you hear often. <laughs> no. But he knows the difference now, and I, what made me realize is that this regulatory environment really creates the market in each of these places and the market can be very different in different states well is very different in different states because each state is unique in their in their regulatory approach but it it's not just the you know the laws which govern but it's also it it makes the market itself so how you do business and how you run your business uh and so that's why I mentioned on the pod because I don't have too many uh, examples so if people out there have uh, examples of how their regulatory environment affects their business and how they have to adjust to it. For example, in Oregon, uh, it's very strict. If you're a brewer, you have to sell your beer uh, at the same price to everybody. You have to get the money at the moment of sale. So there's no buying on credit. There's no discounts. There's no three for two uh, keg deals. Nothing like that. You can't even give uh, anything else and give coasters but that's about it right no inducements no inducements at all um, so he really appreciated it about Oregon it's very straightforward you make beer you sell it it wasn't super relevant to your uh, class but it, one of the things that he told us that blew my mind is 
in uh, New Mexico, the distributor is responsible for cleaning the tap lines at, at, at pubs. Yeah, that was nutty. That is crazy. Yeah. That is like, I I don't know what bureaucrat thought that was a good idea, but that is a terrible idea. Yeah. And I don't know if the, I don't know if the retailers are allowed to do it. Or, or if they're, yeah, or I'm trying to think of what the potential problem was that the bureaucrat said. Oh, we have to, we have to make sure this doesn't happen. <laughs> Publicans can't clean their own lines or something. Yeah, I imagine it's the other way around. It's like we got to make sure these lines are getting clean, so we got to make sure somebody's in charge of that. So let's make the distributors of that. But the person who's going to care about clean lines is the retailer who's selling the beer. Yeah. The distributor doesn't care. The distributor's already made the sale. What do they care? Yeah. Do whatever you want with your lines. So, uh, so I thought about demand side, supply side stuff when I was doing my syllabus, but I never actually thought about the market itself. And so that's that was a great insight. Thank you, Alan. Yeah. Good. Uh, Dylan Lily, hi again. <laughs> uh, uh, so that's that's the evolution of my course. It's still coming. I'm still hoping to get it online uh, for next year. Very good. All right, uh, but do weigh in if you can, and we should also say that I think um, we should be more reliable going forward perhaps so uh, send in your fill up that mailbag no no doubt uh, our inconsistency has led to a deflated mailbag but now we're back in the game so yeah I think we might have said that a couple times but yeah, yeah. But, but now we mean it. now we really mean it <laughs> uh, it has been a pretty chaotic last couple of months so um, with, with travel and with vacations and just basically effing off for a month for no reason, you know, that kind of stuff happens. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, kudos to Living House, Living House uh, Beer. Uh, it's a nice place. It's starting to fill up, by the way. This is a Saturday afternoon. Starting yeah, the sun to, comes out, people want to drink. Yeah, it's, it's 5 o'clock, I think. This, so. is, this is another reason why I think breweries are probably looking at that 49-degree day out there and thinking, yeah. oh, man, will the damn sun come out, please? Yeah. Excellent beer. We've stuck because it's a Saturday afternoon. We're podcasting. We stuck to the low test stuff, but it's fabulous. That's kind of what they do here. I mean, they don't have very many high alcohol beers, and they have two beers under five. No, they have three beers. They have this. This Hellas is four point five. They have a four point two percent, like ten degree Czech dark lager. They have a Grzitzki three point two percent, three point five or something. A lot of a lot of sessionable beers here. Come drink. Alright, a few words going out. Please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your questions or comments to jeff.beervanaplog.com or on Twitter and Instagram at beervanapod. Cleverly, we had the same handle for both. I know. Makes it easier. That was uh, a rare moment of brilliant, not yeah. chaos on our part. And, and by the way, the Beervana Pod Instagram. Is active. It is. Go look at some of my sites. The by, the t- by the time you watch this, there will be a post up of us sitting in this very pub, which I just took a selfie of. So, you know. uh, I did stop in this wonderful um, uh, Green King pub on the south bank of the Thames downtown, uh, in the, in the, just across from the city, uh, called the Anchor. I got a nice clam shot of that. Lovely. Yeah, we need to work on your photography skills. But uh, well, that yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't think so. I think my photo- photography skills are amazing. Photography skills are My photography skills are fantabulous. <laughs> uh, Jeff blogs at Beer Run a Blog. You still blog, it turns out. I do. I read your blog. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm after my, my uh, January hiatus, 
I got I just gotta blow my own horn. My game is pretty high right now. Yeah. It's good content there. Yeah, there is Let's good. Go check content it out. There. I actually I will I will second that. Yeah. Kudos to you. Uh, you tweet at Beervana. I tweet sometimes at Beeronomics, although I'm trying to focus on Instagram. Yeah. Because you know, pick a lane, stick with it. Visuals are everything. So. Yeah. And we, as we've established, you're an awesome photographer. So. I am. My visuals are amazing. <laughs> amazing. Uh, there is one constant: is the derision I receive from my family when I pull my camera out and my phone out and photograph glasses of beer there, wherever I go. There is an absolutely wonderful, maybe we'll put this in the liner notes, an absolutely wonderful article on Vine Pair about beer dads and how on TikTok the kids are with their father, filming their father like delightedly tasting his beer at a brewery and trying to show them brew the beer at the brewery and stuff and they're like, uh, uh, they're, it, they're, they, they regard it as incredibly amusing and, and dumb, but also they sort of love their dad, so it's very charming. I'll that, put that in there. It's an awesome article. It's one of the best that things is the, I've That seen. is the dynamic in a nutshell, except thankfully my son is not making TikTok videos of me drinking beer. Yeah. That's, I'm going to get Andrew on that. we gotta, <laughs> no, we got to get you. <laughs> we got to get you on TikTok. All right. got to go. So cheers, Jeff. All right. Cheers, Patrick. Until next time. <laughs>